It was Monday night, August 3rd, at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics in Spain. At the track and field stadium, the gun sounded for the 400-meter semifinals. The race began, but about 100 meters into the race, Britain's Derek Redmond crumpled to the track with a torn right hamstring. Medical attendants rushed out to him to assist him, but as they approached Derek Redmond, he waved them aside, and he struggled to his feet, and he, he hopped, and then he'd fall, and he'd crawl, and then he'd hop again in a desperate effort to finish the race that he had trained so hard to compete in. You see, four years earlier, he had also qualified for the 1988 Olympics in Seoul, Korea. Ninety seconds before his race, he had to pull out of the Olympics because of Achilles tendon problems. Following that injury, he had five surgeries. Somehow he had qualified again for the 92 Olympics. He just suffered a career-ending injury. But he said to himself, I'm not quitting, I'm going to finish this race. So he works his way around the track, hopping, sometimes crawling down the lane. Up in the stands, a big guy wearing a t-shirt, tennis shoes, and a Nike cap that said, just do it, ran down, crossed the barrier, barreled out of the stands, hurled the security guards out of his way, ran across the track, and embraced him. It was Jim Redmond, Derek's dad. He put his arm around his son's waist. His son put his arm around his shoulders, and together they began to make their way around the track. The crowd is standing by this time cheering. Derek and his dad make their way around the track until finally, arm in arm, they cross the finish line together. You know what? If that's the way an earthly father responds to a son who is determined to finish the race, no matter what the cost, how much more our heavenly father will run to the side of any son or daughter of his who says, look, I'm finishing. I don't care how much it, for, it hurts. I don't care how much it costs. I'm finishing this race. And God is going to be there with you. The message of Hebrews, finish the race with confidence. With confidence. That's the theme of the book of Hebrews that we've been studying now for some time. Just hang on. Finish the race. Don't quit on God because God doesn't quit on you. Last Sunday we looked at the fourth of five warning passages in the book of Hebrews. All four, five warning passages challenge people not to quit, not to give up, not to turn away from their faith in the Lord. God is reaching out to people and saying, don't do this. Don't get discouraged and lose confidence in the Lord because of the tough times you are going through, and we all go through those times in life. That's the message of Hebrews, in a nutshell. 
So how do we avoid the temptation to quit? How do we avoid that discouragement that leads to turning away from God and what he is doing? What can we do to continue in the faith? Obviously, God is at work in our lives, but what are our responses to that process? I mean, so many people start well in terms of the professing Christian life. So many people seem to do so well at the beginning, and then you've seen it quit and turn away from the Lord later when the pressures mount up. How do we make sure to finish the race of life with confidence? Hebrews 10, verses 32 to 39 this morning, our passage that we're looking at, gives us three keys to finishing the race that God has laid out for us in life. Key number one, recall your past commitment. Recall your past commitment. Verse 32, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being, a, being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. All right, it's a command here. Commands require a response from us. Remember, remember the former days. Literally, the Greek, it's, it's a passive command. Be reminded of your former days. Think back over those former days. God enlightened you. He, went, he, he was at work in your life, drawing you to himself. Think back to those early days. You see, there is value in remembering the past, particularly when we can remember those times when we stood strong for the Lord. When we can remember those times when we came through the battles of this life and we stood for the Lord and we honored Him. And when you think back to those times of hardship and struggle and remember how we stayed faithful to the Lord, then those memories encourage us as we face the new struggles in life. So, so the first key to finishing the race with confidence is to remember our past commitments. Even the little victories of life give us hope in the present and as we look to the future. The Miracle Worker is a movie starring Anne Bancroft and Patty Duke it's the true story of Helen Keller and Ann Sullivan, which you're probably familiar with the story, I'm sure. Blind and deaf due to illness soon after birth, Helen Keller grows to, to be extremely introverted, wild, and totally uncontrollable as a young lady. Her desperate parents send for Ann Sullivan, and Ann is a partially blind educator for the handicapped with tenacity, perseverance, and sheer force of will, Anne Sullivan reaches into Keller's dark world and teaches her to communicate with the real world around her. One day, and the movie dramatizes it, 
and struggles to teach Helen proper eating etiquette. Simple thing. Anne forces young Helen to sit down on a chair. She puts a spoon in her hand. Helen stands up and flings a spoon across the room. Again, she sits her down, puts a spoon in her hand, puts a plate of food in front of her so she can smell it. She can't see it. She does the same thing. Seven spoons later, (laughs) another spoon. This time, Ann Sullivan takes the spoon and she forces a little bit of the food into Helen's mouth. But instead of chewing it or swallowing it, Helen turns and spits it all over Ann Sullivan's face. She's covered with food now. She wipes her face off. And then she surprises Helen, who can't see it coming, but she takes a big jug of water and she throws it in her face, shocking her. Helen responds, the next bite she actually chews and swallows. And Anne spells good girl into the palm of her hand. Food all over the place, a mess. All of a sudden, Helen grabs Anne's hair and she pulls as hard as she can. And she gets up and she hauls her out of the room. And together they make their way to where Helen's mother is. Mrs. Keller sits on a balcony with her baby and her servant and the servant takes the baby away. And Helen comes storming through the door with Anne, finds her mother and hugs her, calming down. Mrs. Keller anxiously asks Anne what happened. Anne, fixing her glasses and trying to make herself presentable to her employer, says she ate from her own plate. She ate with a spoon herself and she folded her napkin. Mrs. Keller can't believe it folded her napkin. The room's a wreck, but her napkin is folded, says Ann Sullivan. (laughs) Mrs. Keller continues to hug Helen, deeply moved, close to tears, and she says to herself, folded her napkin. My Helen folded her napkin. Little victories. But that's the kind of tenacity we need in life. Look back to the past and remember those times when you stuck it out for the Lord, through times of humiliation maybe, through insults, through loss, through failure, through mess-ups, and life gets messy. Those small victories for the Lord will help you stick it out today. The author of Hebrews helps his readers then by pointing out how their past struggles have helped them experience things for the Lord. They had come to Christ in a time of great persecution, a time of great oppression, of great struggle. He says, you have endured a great conflict of sufferings there in verse 32. The word translated conflict is a word from which we get our English word athlete. So this is an athletic metaphor. 
You have come through this intense athletic competition, this contest of sufferings. You have been competing in this process with others to win the victory in Christ. So life is like a great athletic contest. And victory comes to those who finish well by the grace of God. Victory comes to those who endure the sufferings of this life, the losses we feel, (coughs) the struggles we experience, while looking ahead to what the Lord promises us in the next life. And the author of Hebrews in verses 33 and 34 then lists six different sufferings that they have experienced in life while remaining faithful to the Lord. Now, we don't live in the same world that they lived in, and they experienced intense persecution in that first century. And we in America are blessed. We don't experience that same kind of persecution. I mean, we, we experience some persecution, I'm sure. We experience some ridicule, and people may laugh at our faith or put us down, but my goodness, let's be honest, that pales in comparison to what Christians in other parts of this world have to experience through persecution. Ours is a pretty comfortable experience as Christians, is it not? And yet, there are always struggles. There are things that God brings into our lives. There are things that we must go through, that we must experience in life, because they're part of God's call on our lives. And God expects us to stick it out through those things, and to persevere, to endure is the word. Looking at what they experienced, they had been made a public spectacle. The word means to be put to shame in front of other people. They had been publicly exposed. They had been humiliated before others. Um, Like Ann Sullivan, the room was a disaster. She was covered in food. Her glasses askew. She had to be dragged by her hair before her employer. But she'd been faithful. And a small, small victory had been won. Well, these people had been humiliated, but faithful. And in their faithfulness, a small victory had been won. They had been insulted. They had been oppressed. The shame came through reproaches and tribulations. All of this public shame that they had experienced came about because the Christians had chosen, it was their choice, to become sharers, he says, or partners with those, literally, who are being overturned in life. The word means something like we would say when we said, when we say that somebody turned the tables on someone. So, there were believers in their fellowship who had had the tables of life turned on them. Maybe they had been wealthy and comfortable, or maybe they had been successful in the, in the world. But under oppression and under persecution, the tables had been completely turned, and now they had suffered loss, and now they were downtrodden in the community, and now they were ridiculed in the community. And the Christians had chosen to join themselves to these who had been overturned in life. They showed sympathy to the prisoners, for some Christians had been imprisoned. 
And as a result, they experienced the seizure of their own possessions because they were identifying with Christians who were being persecuted. And they were not afraid to identify with those who stood for the Lord against their own government. They accepted the loss of their own property, their own possessions, with joy. Isn't that what James tells us to do when we go through times of suffering and hardship? Accept it with joy. That's the hard part, isn't it? You've got to accept it because sometimes it's forced on you. But with joy? Can you count all things with joy? <laughs> sometimes we've got to work our way through that process, don't we? But they accepted the loss of, of their own possessions with joy. All this they had experienced. They were not bitter about the sufferings. So how could they stand so strong in their past commitment? It's because they knew a better possession was coming one day, he says at the end of verse 35. Their eternal possession remained for them so they could suffer the loss of material possessions in this life for the sake of the eternal possession in heaven. That's how they could stand strong. Legendary basketball coach John Wooden once said, Do not let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. Too often as Christians, we get discouraged and we quit because we look at all we can't do instead of what we can do. The Christians in Hebrews, for example... We're not able to do much in this world. But what they could do, they did. They didn't win many political battles. They were oppressed. They were suffering persecution. They didn't win many economic battles. They were losing their jobs. They were struggling to make ends meet in life. By the world's standards, they weren't winning much. And they couldn't do much. But what they could do... They did, and that's stay faithful to the Lord through all of those experiences. Many of their fellow Christians had seen their lives uprooted and turned around. They had friends in prison. They'd lost their possessions. But they did not let all of those losses stop them from remaining faithful to the Lord. So, one of the keys to avoiding discouragement, then, is to focus on what you can do for the Lord, not what you can't do. Second principle this morning from Hebrews. Pursue a greater payback. Verse 35. Pursue a greater payback. Therefore, he says, as a result of all of this past commitment, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Now look back at verse 19, because he's continuing a theme here. Verse 19, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of, of Jesus. So we're to, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We have this confidence in God through Jesus Christ. A boldness that allows us to come into the holy place of the almighty God of the universe. 
anytime, any place, we can come to him and seek help. You don't need an engraved invitation to talk to God. You can come to him at any time. And you can come boldly and with confidence because the blood of Christ opens that door to God's holy presence. So he says, don't throw away that confidence. You know what happens when we get discouraged and we're tempted to quit? What are we really doing? We are throwing away the confidence that we have in Christ to come to God for help. We're just throwing away that confidence, that boldness, that openness. So don't throw away that confidence that you have with God to come to Him for His help. Because, he says, there is a great reward in boldly coming to God in prayer with our needs. And the word translated reward literally means payback or back wages. It's a commercial term. We get a better return on our investment when we don't throw away our confidence in God. Because there's a payback coming when we trust Him. And what we need then is endurance in doing the will of God. We need to persevere in obeying God's will in our lives. Each of us has a different path in life that God is laying out for us. Your path is not my path. My path is not your path. We experience different things. God puts people in your life who are a part of God's call on your life. God puts experiences in your life that are a part of God's call on your life. God puts situations and ministries in your life that are a part of God's call on your life. And He does the same in mine. We need to persevere in the path that God has set before us and not quit. All of us get discouraged in what we're trying to do for the Lord. And you know what? The church sometimes can be a place of great discouragement for Christians. As we try hard to do the will of God only to get shot down or criticized or it doesn't work out, right? I find that the thing to do at that point is just to pursue the greater payback that comes from the Lord. He's the one who will evaluate everything in the end. doesn't matter what others think in the end. Just keep plugging away at it. Just keep on keeping on. The Bible College Former President Carl Grathwall, whom I worked with for years and who's now with the Lord and enjoying his reward for faithful service over many, many years, used to say to the pastoral students and to all of us at the Bible College, preach, pray, and plug away. That was his little saying. And I like it. It's a good one. It's good advice for all of us, not just preachers or pastors. We need endurance then. The ability to stick it out with what we are stuck with in life. Because that's what God calls us to do. A television documentary pointed out that the cheetah survives on the African plains by running down its prey. The big cat can sprint 70 miles an hour, but only for a very short distance. So he'd better catch that prey pretty quickly because the cheetah was endowed with a very small heart which means that though it can go very, very fast, it can only do it for a short time before it 
wears out. And the heart just won't, won't handle the pressure. Well, sometimes I think Christians seem to have the cheetah's approach to ministry. You know what? We speed into projects and ministries and programs. Oh, we got all kinds of energy. But we, don't, we lack the heart for that sustained effort. When we fizzle before we finish. Everything starts great, but it doesn't last. We get discouraged. So what we do is we sort of vow to start faster and run harder. But what we, meet, what we need is not more speed, not more flash and excitement. What we need is more staying power, right? More sticking at it. More stamina. And that comes from a bigger heart for the Lord. Because some of the stuff of life, in fact, most of the stuff of life, in ministry, in service, in in family, in, in all of these experiences that God takes us through in life, most of that stuff is not a flash in the pan. It's a long-term process, right? And it's day by day after day after day of walking with the Lord. That kind of stamina is what he's talking about in Hebrews. All right, how do we find that staying power in our Christian lives? We find it by pursuing the greater payback that comes from the promises of the Lord. We invest in the future. Several times in the book of Hebrews, a favorite passage that he keeps looking back to is Jeremiah chapter 32, 33, the new covenant. Now, Jeremiah lived 600 years before the time of Christ. And yet he invested in the future. He trusted in the new covenant, though he never saw the new covenant come into... I mean, he's dead long before Christ comes. Lived 600 years before Christ. But he invested in the future. He trusted in that covenant that God was promising him there in Jeremiah. He remained faithful to God in his sufferings. And Jeremiah, by the way, is the one who wrote Lamentations. I mean, he suffered. He struggled in life. But he stayed faithful, you see. The last clause of verse 36 says that we one day receive what was promised when we do the will of God. We've got to keep on doing that will of God, that obedience, right? But then we receive the payback one day. Literally, we get back the promise in wages. Our wages are eternal wages. They're not the wages of this life. Our wages are paid back in heaven, not on earth. Work for the wages of heaven, not the wages of earth. Several years ago, construction workers were laying a foundation for a building outside the city of Pompeii. And as they were digging there outside of the city of Pompeii, they came across the corpse, the body of a young woman who had died in the, uh, in the volcano, Mount Vesuvius, when it erupted. And when they dug the body out, they found clutched in the hand all of her precious jewels, well perfectly preserved, 
And so archaeologists surmise, because we don't know for certain, that perhaps she had taken the time to run back into her house and get the family jewels, but death caught her before she could escape with her precious jewels. This can't go with us. None of it. The wages of this earth we can't take with us. Death takes them all away from us. So invest not in the wages of this earth, but the wages of eternity. And the payback that comes in eternity, not the payback that comes here, not the applause of, the, of this earth, not the recognition and the honor of this earth, but the payback that comes in heaven. That's what keeps us working. That's what keeps us going, is investing in the future. How many of us are working for what we see in this life? How many of us find these treasures to be most important in life and forget that the real payback is in heaven? So, how do you finish the race with confidence? That's our theme. Number one, recall your past commitment. Number two, pursue a greater payback. And number three, look forward to his return. Verse 37. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving or the security of the soul. That's the kind of faith we have. You see, as he closes this section, I mean, he's, he's warned them, don't shrink back. But as he closes this section, he's basically saying, but I know you're not the kind that shrink back. I know you'll stick it out, because I see what God has been doing in your life. And that is for the preserving or the security of your soul, that kind of persevering faith. The author of Hebrews closes this whole little section by quoting from two Old Testament passages, we call it conflation, where, where they, they take two Old Testament passages that are unrelated to one another, they put them together to make a point. And he takes two Old Testament passages and puts them together. He takes Isaiah 26, verse 20, first of all. And the expression is, for a little while, and he will not delay. The passage is looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 26. And there the people are suffering and they're going through a great deal of difficulty in life. And he tells them in Isaiah to hide for just a little while longer while the sufferings of this life pass because the Lord is about to come from his holy place in heaven to punish all of those who are attacking his people. Now the people of Hebrews are suffering. He says, hide for a little while longer. He's coming back. And he'll take care of the problems. He will, re- he will return to right all the wrongs and erase all of the suffering one day. And then the author of Hebrews quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2, where we're taught that the righteous will live by faith. You want to survive in this world? You survive by faith and by living it out. Uh, This is the ultimate survival game, right? We live it out. 
We outlive, we outpray, we overcome. Revelation is all about... Remember when we studied Revelation? Now, humor me. You do remember when we studied Revelation, right? The overcomer theme, right? The overcomer theme. I, I have this thought that you remember these messages, you see. So it's important for my ego, I suppose, to get that response. But the emphasis is on the ongoing habit of living for the Lord. I mean, in Habakkuk's day, when he wrote those words, they were going through the siege of the Babylonians. These, this horrible, difficult time where the nation was under siege and people were dying and being taken off into captivity. And he says there the famous clause that, of course, Martin Luther meant so much to him. The just, the righteous one, the just, shall live by faith. That is, live in an ongoing way by faith. Another way to translate that Hebrews is just shall live by his faithfulness. Faith is faithful. That's the author of Hebrews' theme as well. So once again we see in Hebrews that continuance is the test of reality in terms of our faith. Stay true, don't quit. The person who shrinks back will not enjoy the pleasure of God. If we quit, we will not feel God's pleasure. He's talking about quitting permanently or turning away from the Lord, not failing. Obviously, God is not pleased when we fail, but he draws us back and we continue on. But if we quit, we won't feel God's pleasure. God is not pleased with quitters. One of the most important characteristics then of true faith in the book of Hebrews in the Bible is perseverance. We endure. We stick it out. We don't quit. That's the mark of a true believer. Notice verse 39. The author is confident that the readers are not the kind of people who will fall away or shrink back from following the the Lord. He's confident they are not quitters who end up in destruction, as the previous warning passage talked about, because he's seen the evidence of their faith. They have a faith that preserves the soul. This is the real security of believers, you see, in a faith that perseveres. That proves it. Persevering faith gives us assurance of eternal life. We stick it out through the insults, the criticisms, all of the struggles and sufferings of this life, and we finish the race that God has called us to run. Whatever your race is, finish it with confidence. Sally Robbins was a member of Australia's 2004 Olympic rowing team competing in the women's eight final. With approximately 400 meters left in the race, the 23-year-old quit. She just put her oar up. She was done. She stopped rowing. The team dropped from third place to last in the race. I just rode my guts out in the first 1500, didn't have anything left, and that's all I could have done for today, Sally Robbins said. Well, her teammates weren't quite so sympathetic. They threatened to throw her in the water. The Sydney Daily Telegraph's headline read, Just Orful. (laughs) Australia takes their rowing pretty seriously and asked readers to vote on whether she had cost the team a medal. Melbourne's newspaper headline read, It's eight, mate, pull your weight. (laughs) Underscoring the fact that she had quit early and hurt her whole team. 
Too many people. You've seen them. I know them. Too many people who profess to be Christians quit before the race is over. When's the race over? When God calls you home or the Lord comes back. Race isn't over till then. It's eight, mate, pull your weight. It's all the way to the end. Nothing short of that for a Christian. I mean, your race is different than mine. You face different things than I do. You face loss and struggle that maybe I don't experience, but I face struggle and loss that you don't experience. Each course is the call of God on each life. Your life, my life. It's our race. God's call on your life has to do with the people and the struggles that He places in your life. And He calls you to be faithful. God's call on my life has to do with the people and the places He puts me in. And He calls me to be faithful to that call on my life. So, I encourage you, I exhort you, I plead with you, finish the race. Finish the race with confidence. All the way to the end. Till the Lord comes back, or He takes you home to be with Him, keep on. All right? Your payback comes in heaven. Don't quit before the end. Dana Bowman and Jose Aguilon were members of the Golden Knights, which is the U.S. Army's top parachute team. They were practicing a maneuver called the Diamond Track during a training mission over Yuma, Arizona. They had performed the maneuver uh, over 50 times before. It's a maneuver where flying at each other in parachutes now at about 150 miles an hour, they are to pass within 20 feet of each other in this maneuver. Well, something went very wrong about 4,000 feet up in the air. And uh, they were headed for a collision. Sergeant Aguilon saw it coming. He stuck out his right arm to veer away. He hit Sergeant Bowman's legs, cutting them off at the knee. One just above the knee, one just below the knee. Sergeant Bowman floated to the ground unconscious from the pain, but alive. When he woke up, he learned that Sergeant Aguilon had died from the crash. Soon after, Dana Bowman's wife left him, divorced him. The army discharged him. When asked how he recovered, he now says, The doctors were telling me I'd never be the same. Instead of giving me options, they were depressing me. I just wanted to put my fingers in my ears and not listen. It was crazy. I don't like downbeat people. I like upbeat people. I'm a Christian, and I have a lot of faith. I decided I'm going to show them my spirit. Six months after the tragedy, Sergeant Bowman parachuted again out of a plane. That had been tough for me. Nine months later, he was back in the Army, and he celebrated his reenlistment by jumping again with the Golden Knights. Minus his legs, of course. Now retired from military service, Dana skis both on water and snow, scuba dives, flies planes and helicopters, and races motorcycles. He has made more than 500 parachute jumps since his accident and has gained his college degree in commercial aviation. (laughs) He remarried. He's the father of five children. 
And he now encourages people with disabilities through public speaking. In an interview on the 700 Club, Dana Bowman said, We have to live by the path that God has given us each and every day. It's hard for me, but I continue on. I want to live a Christian life. God gave me a chance to live. I have to give something back. Wow. We have to live by the path that God has given us each and every day. It's hard for me, but I continue on. Isn't that Hebrews? That's God's call for you too. Father, teach us that following you may not be pretty or easy. But as we follow you, you will give us the strength to live out what you call us to do and be in this world. Help us this week to follow your call and to be faithful to you in all we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.